Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as always, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on whenever, wherever you join this podcast from all around the world, but a little bit closer to home today. I'm delighted to say that joining the podcast is a returning guest, somebody who last joined this podcast in October 2019, when the world was a very, very different place, and the landscape that he worked in was markedly different to the one that... Uh, has been faced over the last 12 to 18 months and uh, in the immediate future. Joining the podcast today is the Chief Executive of Manchester Central, Mr. Sean Hines. Sean, welcome to the podcast today. James, hello. Nice to see you again. Absolutely, yes. And, and as I said, it was October 2019 that you and I last uh, had a chat on this podcast. We were talking about some of the fantastic developments in terms of the tech infrastructure at the venue and all of the exciting things that were happening. I think the one of the, the major political parties had just had or were just having their conference at that point, their autumn yeah. conference was um, about to come into the venue. Loads of exciting things happening. And uh, who would have thought that just, you know, four or five months after that, that conversation that we had about all these exciting developments that that things would change as as dramatically as they did H how have you been first of all how's the venue been and and how have you guys got through the last 12 to 18 months god blimey yeah and no, i remember when we last spoke actually and we, it's funny some of some of those investments that we made um have, have proved to be sort of quite helpful and quite uh, almost prophetic actually in terms of uh, being able to predict what we might need but look it's been all of the words I think have been used haven't they to describe this situation for our industry and you know and it's no different here in Manchester as well that I suppose it's widely known that we we were converted into a Nightingale hospital which which certainly influenced um, quite a lot of the activity that we were getting involved in in the early part of the pandemic you know March through April May June last year we were we were very busy and I know there's a whole story about that as well in terms of how we how we got involved and the, the liaison with the, the the army initially and then the local trust to develop the the, the Nightingale um, you know the role that we played as a venue but also that some of our team played as well so you know a lot of the guys that work with us you know whether it's in hospitality in the kitchen and cleaning and security you know they were able to come back and actually support the nightingale as well so so it's good good to see how the events industry was kind of part of that first line of defense and you know I, I, <laughs> that actually sort of wound me up a little bit in the early stages because when the response to the pandemic was was if you like uh, uh, taking shape uh, and it was it was announced what was going to be needed it was the events industry that kind of stood up in a way and it was our venues it was our people it was our contractors that were absolutely fundamental in establishing the network of nightingales and in many cases operating them as well um and yet that was being uh complemented by a real struggle a real struggle on behalf of the industry to get the recognition that we needed and, and recognition in the form of of financial support but but actually in the early stages just just a definition that our businesses were the ones that were included in that array of businesses that had to close and therefore would need additional financial support. And it took us a period of months to get a position, I think, which was, you know, acceptable, but it certainly was by far from being being perfect. And, and even now, as we, we are 18 months through this, you know, there are still plenty of examples of you know colleagues 
businesses, organizations that are or were intrinsic within the events ecosystem that have struggled to get that recognition, to get that financial support. And, you know, the, this this um, our chat today isn't about that, but there are plenty of stories of of real um, tragedy, not just from a health perspective, but mm. from, from a business perspective of of good businesses, good shows, good companies, good people that have just been kind of metaphorically wiped out by by this process. And you know we're we're in this long road towards recovery. But I'm you know I'm relatively pleased and optimistic to say that yeah. I I think I think I'm on that road now, and I think I've got a map. That's slightly better than Google Maps on my phone. <laughs> um, to, to plot to plot the pathway out, you know. And I think um, um, one thing before I let you ask the question. No, 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 please, Cody. That's <laughs> why you're here. You you far away. Uh, and then I've gone and um, I forgot my uh, my chain of thought actually. But um, I, I think what I was going to say was we've we've had so many stops and starts along the way as we've navigated our way through this and i think we would you know last year in the summertime when we were all eating out to help out and doing all of this kind of stuff you know i, I think we felt that we were we were on the, the back end of, of this 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 pandemic and that we were going to be getting back to normal and of course a yeah. year later a year later we find ourselves really at the beginning of that recovery journey um mm. and the announcement last week I think was really important for us uh, you know as an industry it gives us a validation if you like that we can now at least start to plan in earnest but as everybody in the, in the industry knows you know you can't you can't reopen an industry on friday and then literally reopen the doors on monday and expect people to be coming in you know there is a planning uh, process and there is a lag and you know i had some opportunity to make these points to some people in government that you know you're talking at about six months at least from yeah. from, from a, a position of of confident planning to having people walk through the door and, and so i think we we continue to to work through that reality at the moment um but but look we're in a we're i'd say we're in a better place now than we were two or three months ago yeah the, the, there's a number of great points that that, that you raise there and, and and talking points you know not least the fact that there appeared to be this lack of understanding of the sheer planning that's involved in putting on any form of event call it what you will it could be a, a trade show a, a major conference uh, a festival you know a music event mm. the, the, the sheer the, the the detail and the length of the planning process that is required to actually get to those live days is something that I feel the whole industry was banging, felt like it was banging its head against a brick wall and it's trying to explain that to government and to people in a, in a position of power in terms of getting that that, that message across. You know, we, we saw festivals being cancelled in January. People saying, well, why are they cancelling in January? They don't yeah. happen until June. Clearly with no understanding about the, the, the process that goes in and why having that clarity at a far earlier stage would have helped the industry so much more dramatically. Um, are you able to, to, to sort of touch on some of those sort of discussions and, and yeah, how yeah. you you try to communicate those sort of messages to, to the people that you spoke to? I remember we were frequently being asked by DCMS or base government departments about the the impacts of extended closure and, and, and so on. And, and they would ask us, well, tell us about the shows you've got lined up for the next three months. You know, if they can't happen, what will the impact be? And the, the point that we were saying to them all of the time 
Um, and, you know, people like Chris Skeeth, who was at the sharp end mm, of dealing with yeah. government from the Association of Event Organizers. Um, it, we would continually make this point that it isn't about the next three months. You know, if you tell us we're not running events in the next three months, it's actually the next nine months which we've got to worry about because it means that everything's going to stop. So I think there was a, there was a, a massive over... Um, what's the right word to use, but a, a, a massive over-expectation or over under, lack of understanding mm. um, a, about how these events take place. And I think we, we were very complacent as an industry in our thinking that the observers in government, in authorities, the, the, the policy makers, the lawmakers, that they had this, this, this level of understanding that would be required to understand how the events industry works. I, I think we all... We all saw these people coming through our doors as delegates for party political conferences that you've alluded to. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, and we all know that these people would have gone to a concert in their lifetime, or they may well have gone to another event. Um, but I think I think the bit that was missing was that there was almost this, this complete disconnect between the, the, the final show being presented and all of the work that led up to the moment that that show was able to promote, whether it's from the conception, the planning, the marketing, the branding, the PR, the artist liaison, the logistics, the the the, the, the site management, the, the the rigging, the AV, the food and beverage, the cleaning, the security. You know, I could go on and on and on. And I and I think we all know and we all understand that ecosystem intrinsically. But I think we we massively overestimated uh, uh, the level of knowledge that we thought other people would have and I think that 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 tripped us up uh, a lot of times I'd say now uh, we there is a, a much clearer understanding and I think the focus that we should be looking at it now is reinforcing the connection and I'm going to focus just on sort of the business event sector covering exhibitions yeah. trade events conferences seminars that kind of thing but we've got to really reinforce the connection between that genre of activity and the impact on economy, uh, just not just locally, which is in, it's huge for the areas where where venues and events take place, but actually in some cases when you've got these big international shows, um, the the impact that it will have on the the, the wider national economy. And and whilst it's not an economic um, uh, incident per se, if you take COP twenty six coming up in in Glasgow, that's a great example. Uh, not necessarily of the economic impact, although there is a huge economic impact associated with COP that we should all be very aware of. Um, but actually, the fact that um, that the, the that gathering in Glasgow in November is going to be fundamental to some of the policy and some of the change and some of the economics that will be um, bearing down on us globally as we continue to to make our way through. Um, oh, this is the wrong choice of words, but as we address the climate crisis and we recalibrate our business, our expectations, uh, both as businesses, but also as countries in terms of that going forward. So the, the point which I'm sort of clumsily making is that there is this fundamental um, uh, inherent connection between the live events that we stage and that long-term positive impact, either to education, um, you know, research or economics. Um, and I think that's the that's the focus that I'll be looking at now. And we've got a great opportunity coming up. We are, you know, hosting the the, the Conservative Party conference in October, um, and we're currently working on uh, hosting a an events industry fringe 
event during that conference where we're going to be talking about this exact topic. And it, it won't be about all of the stuff we should have done a year ago. It will be about how the events industry can contribute to the recovery yeah. and to the growth of, of UK PLC. And, and equally, you know, UK as an independent entity in the EU and as a, as a, as a global trading uh, partner as well. So, so I think, I think there's lots to, to work on, lots to, to look forward to. And I think there's a pretty clear message around how our industry can contribute to that recovery. And that has to be the focus rather than, than looking back at, we should have done this, we should have done that, we should have done something else. Yeah. And it's uh, uh, what, what, what has really interested me as a, as an observer, somebody who is in the industry, but as somebody who is also watching and watching people like yourself and Chris Skeeth, as you said, and and loads of conversations on LinkedIn and posts on LinkedIn, people furiously batting for the industry in the last year or so, um, is that publicly all people have been waiting for is for events to come back. That, that, that seemed to me is something really strange. We had this industry that was on its knees and crippled. There was a lack of understanding at government level, a lack of support, a lack of, you know, clear understanding and, and guidance and support and insurances, any sort of scheme that would back it, the events industry getting back on its feet. And yet, when you look at actually what the public wanted post lockdown and post restrictions, all they wanted to do was get back out to events again. So... Yeah. We were the last industry seemingly to be considered and really understood during the lockdown. But as soon as the lockdown ended last week, all eyes were on. Right, right, great. So you're back open for business. Come on then. Crack on. The public want their festivals. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 I suppose it was frustrating, but for organisers as well, there was an awful lot of understandable anger creeping in and um, uh, uh, that, that they were sort of expected almost to get straight back up and running immediately after the restrictions lifted yeah. in order to give the public all of these great events and, and activities that they've missed out on for a year. And I think that particularly was 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 very, very unfair. Um, it, well, it, it, plays, it plays to the heart of what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, which is that lack of understanding about the, the, the work, the effort and the timeline involved in delivering what on paper seems like a relatively you know straightforward event a concert in a field or something like that but actually you know it's much it's it's so much more than that but it, it's quite interesting isn't it that you when you look at the appetite in uh, in the general public for things to do events to go to i mean it is it is vast you, I mean, you could almost literally open up an event to watch paint dry and it would sell out i i, yeah. I, I, get, that, I get that feeling um yeah. because people certainly were so were so keen to just do anything and and what what you know i think looking at the positives out of all of this is that um you know the the, the live um version of of, of of something that opportunity to, to congregate to gather in person to attend something that there's a real people are, are really are, that they're, they're holding that with a great deal of affection and therefore what it's going to do i think is it's going to it's going to stimulate and spawn some really interesting and creative and innovative genres of events being developed right mm. which i think will actually ultimately means that events are probably going to get better um, the content will be better the staging will be better the arrangement the organization will be better because um we'll, we we've come through this 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 period where we've known that we we can't take any of this for granted. So actually, the opportunity to go to something, I should hold that so dear 
um, that I think what it's going to stimulate is some really interesting That's, new yeah. activities, new events. I mean, we've got it. We've got it just started pointing out of my window, by the way, but we've got it just <laughs> over the road. Um, uh, Home is a, a very well-established Manchester theatre group. And what, what they did on the back of actually on one of the government arts and culture grants that was um, that was awarded, they've created a whole kind of ongoing pop-up festival called Home Ground. So they've literally taken you know a, a, a kind of a hard-standing kind of derelict car park area, hoarded it, you know, chucked in um, some infrastructure, um, and they've created and, and curated a series of activities running you know, in the evenings, you know, towards, I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it, and you can go and see theatre, comedy, music, great food, great drink, you know, all of this stuff that's just been curated. And it's actually, it's, it's brilliant because it got conceived and opened at a time when you couldn't do anything else because you weren't allowed to go indoors. You weren't allowed to go into theatres, weren't yeah. allowed to go to bars, yeah. etc. But actually, even now, with all of those other places now opening back up, um, you know, home ground still remains a, a destination. We have another example here in Manchester as well called Freight Island, which again has taken a derelict space, reconfigured it into an entertainment bar, restaurant, kind of outdoor, just almost sort of pop-up festival. Um, and it's been absolutely random and fair play to them. They were the first, almost the first to kind of launch under the new regime. Mm. And at every moment when there's been a change in the rules and regulations, they've been the first to come back out and say, right, we can do it. It's socially distanced. It's limited capacity. We're only going to do it for two hours at a time. But here it is. Um, and, and I think that's really that's really positive. Something that, that's really positive and interesting that's come out of it. And um mm you know, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll continue to, we'll continue to see, you know, similar um, innovation, I think, maybe, maybe getting, finding its way into the more conventional, no pun intended business events. No, absolutely. It's, um, it's something that's been mentioned, you know, maybe not in huge detail, but certainly on a number of occasions on the podcast over the last few months is that because of that desire to get back to something that we, we know and love, you know, and like you said, that complacency. How many business events did you go to, you know, in, in, in venues around the country, you know, to go to, and they'd be boring as hell, you know, a bit of shell scheme, you know, some awful branding, a few people milling around and shaking hands, you know, because, you know, we, we sort of got complacent a little bit that and took them for granted that they could happen. And you're absolutely right. Now that we've missed them and we've had this period of time where we can't do them, there will be this sort of approach to, generate inspiration you know to really make sure that if you're going to open the doors to your audience no matter how big or small or niche that audience may be that you're going to give them something that excites them that's made it worthwhile them making that trip to be in that space and um i i i would agree wholeheartedly that um i look forward to seeing some of that sort of creative uh you know some of that creative stuff being being put forward and being demonstrated the other thing i wanted to ask you about and this may, may seem a, a slight digression but somebody said to me recently that they think that culturally we've become far more continental as a result of this whole experience in that we will make better use of our outdoor spaces um whether that be in pub beer gardens whether that be for events you know and you think about when we go on holiday to continental europe to the mediterranean particularly 
you know, so much of life is conducted outside because they've got the weather. And OK, we might not have the weather year round here, but somebody did say that they think we're going to become a little bit more continental in our approach to utilising outdoor spaces. Is that something that you've you've considered, you know, with, with your own venue? I, might, I know that might be quite difficult given your location and, and the actual sort of, um, you know, makeup of the building itself. But uh, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? I, I say this frequently, uh, James. I mean, apart from the coastline, the beach, the sea, the climate, the, the galleries, the architecture, the history. What has Barcelona got that Manchester hasn't got? I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, we, we joke about it actually up here uh, because there has been there has been this great expansion outside and, and many of the streets uh, in Manchester now are, are populated with these kind of temporary structures. And of course, the government is talking about making that uh more a more permanent fixture mm. um you know interestingly up here some of the streets that have been taken over are at what they've actually done is they've literally taken a lane off the highway yeah. um and and you know put those big concrete blocks and built it up and i think temporarily that's fine but i you know i wonder long term whether that a whether that's that's gonna stick and b whether it's the right thing to do it, equally we have some streets um that are, are not quite the sort of the grand boulevards of, of Paris or Barcelona or Madrid, but but they have seen life stimulated in the form of sort of open terraces in the middle of, of a pathway or on the sides. And it's been great. And I think we we do run the risk of looking at it through our rose-tinted spectacles because it is wonderful when it's, you know, anything from sort of, you know, and we're quite hardy up here. So anything above double figures temperature-wise, and we're, we're quite happy to go outside. But but the weather does make a massive difference, and I think that you know you'll find that some of that some of that starry-eyed optimism might start to be diluted on a, a cold February, you know, month, <laughs> uh, here in Manchester when it is um, it's delivering a, a more Mancunian uh, climate uh, experience. Let's put it like that. But if you asked me about our venue. Well, I think um, because of because of the way we're constructed, it, it, it limits the possibilities for us. But what I think we will see where we can is some of the the forecourt spaces that we've got some of our um areas that are kind of in between different air buildings the possibility i think of us creating some outdoor uh, spaces for i don't know relaxation food and beverage meeting spaces that kind of stuff uh, putting in temporary measures to protect from you know climate irregularities let's put it like that um <laughs> I, you know i i i think i, I could i could see that happening um mm. And, and and it's great and it, and it you know it does bring a vibrancy and a buzz to the place um that, that actually contributes i think to the proceedings of a um uh of a, of a conference in, in the same way that some of these streets uh the retail shops are benefiting because the restaurants are now populating the middle of the 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 the, the, uh, the, the, the footpath there um you know the same will happen with the events industry i think once you've got that buzz and that vibe coming back to an environment i think i think that would be positive so so we're gonna i think we're gonna we're gonna take as much advantage of it as we can um but it is you know it's definitely something that works in the summertime better than it does in the winter absolutely yeah um i i must ask you moving on sean today um uh, uh, you know getting into the the sort of more operational aspect of of the venue and of the clients that you work with um and that your clients that, that you will be already be working with hopefully with um you know events coming up now in the next few months um 
we're recording this for, for uh, perspective on the 26th of July, so exactly one week after the final restrictions were, were lifted in the UK and things like nightclubs are allowed to reopen. Um, and as I'm sure many of our podcast listeners um, tuned in to this particular episode will, will, will know, is that within, what, 48 hours after nightclubs are allowed to reopen, uh, they were told that as of the autumn, people will have to show... Uh, proof of double va- or full vaccination, double vaccination in order to, to gain entry, which straight away reopened the debate about events. Um, Sean, I, I must ask you what your sort of current views are and, and perhaps some of the conversations that you've been having at a higher level about the subject of COVID passports, vaccination proof. Call it what you will, this idea that people will have to display some sort of um, either negative test or vaccination status in order to gain access to an event. How's it affecting you guys at the moment? Well, it's, it's definitely a topic. Um, and I, I think when the announcement came out, it you know, it, it took us a little bit by surprise, but not too much because we're kind of, we're, we're, we're well weathered now with, with, if you like, incomplete or slightly ambiguous statements coming out of government only to be clarified when, when, when the small print is, is issued. Um, so I, th- I think the approach we're taking um, outside of the the legal requirement or regulation that may or may not get introduced is that we're working individually with each organizer about the particular measures that they feel are going to be appropriate for their show. And that's going to be based around all of the different things that, 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 that feed into that, the numbers of people, the type of event they've got, space that they've got available. All of those things. Most organisers, as you would expect, are are taking a, a conscientious and cautious approach, which is let's you know let's um, let's let's put measures in which which are if you like expected or would be expected by the broader population. Um, uh, but we're 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 very much of the view that we as a venue will deliver the. Um, the environment that has been stipulated by the organizers subject mm. to the conditions that they have to work to if 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 it turns out that you've got to show you've got to prove that you've got a double vaccination and that's it i think that's i think that's something that's probably not ideal far from it probably i think where where as an industry where we're much more comfortable along the lines of is the, the combination of certification options, which is you can either show a negative test or you can show double jabbed or you can show other evidence that, you know, that you may have, I don't sure. know, you have it or you've got antibodies, whatever, whatever that might be. However you do that, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think we've we've wanted to have a, a more pro-choice um, kind of a, approach rather than a a, um, a kind of a diktat, if you like. Um, yeah. Although there's something to be said about a diktat, which is that it is what it is, and you know you're either conforming with it or you're not. Um, but interestingly, one of our organisers happens to be the Conservative Party. So um, we're we're and, and and this is where it gets really interesting because and an autumn conference. Yeah, there's a subtle difference between the Conservative Party conference. And the government and of course it's the government that's issued the statement but then the government statement applies to the party of government um and it won't come as a surprise to anyone watching that there are there are differences of opinion 
within the wider party, and in this case, it's the Conservative Party, about what measures and restrictions should or shouldn't apply. Um, and, and because we deal primarily with the organizing group within the Conservative Party, if you like, organization company, if you like, they, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at, they're looking at it much like we are, which is, you know, this statement has come out. They haven't really fully appreciated what the implications are for the wider membership. Um, and so we're just going to have to work it through. And I, and I think where we are at the moment is that we're, we're anticipating that there'll, there'll be a passing of time, um, a clarification around what's required and what's not required. Um, but look, here's the, here's the, the nub of it, actually. The, the nub of it for me is this, is that, as an industry, it's really important that when we when we reopen and we and we and we start delivering events, and for some venues, you know, that's already happened. Uh, it's happening now, and it's happening in the next few months. It's really important that once we're open, that we don't close again. All right, um, because I think that would be catastrophic to the confidence among sponsors, exhibitors, delegates, speakers that we need to ensure that the industry can can thrive. And so as an industry, we've been very pragmatic around, well, actually, we're really good at responding to the environment around us and, and adapting what we do to ensure that we deliver the best and safest possible environment. So, so technically, I have no concerns about us being able to deliver against the, the requirements that are there. But I think we we just have to be mindful of you know whatever we whatever is insisted upon at a regulatory level it has a knock-on effect operationally and, and therefore if you're if you're happy to go through a very um uh, protracted process of clarifying someone's certification or or status then actually all you're probably doing is creating a queue somewhere else in your environment you've Absolutely. got to manage so Absolutely. you have this unintended consequence of maybe creating a greater risk over here because you're trying to do the right thing over there. Yeah. Um, but but there are you know there are events taking place like I say this week. I think organisers are taking a very pragmatic approach to it. As far as I know, every venue is is being helpful um, and trying to deliver the capability to allow the organiser to to meet the obligations that they set and it's setting those obligations that give the visitors the exhibitors and the delegates the comp the confidence that they can come into that that show um and it will meet their expectations around the environment that they expect um and you know we have to be we have to speak frankly about this is that if you're if you are concerned about coming into spaces where there are other people be that supermarket shopping centers uh, sports arenas, conference centers, whatever that might be, then there should be some onus on the individual to, to take to make the choice for themselves, perhaps not to put themselves into that environment, if if it's a very, very personal concern. If we're dealing with, you know, um, a particular set of rules and regulations that, that we all need to apply to, then then so be it. But I think I think we cannot abdicate personal responsibility of doing something that we feel safe and, and comfortable in you and I may choose that actually, given the first opportunity, we'll be happy to go to a concert. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll take it We'll take it with whatever that comes, whether that's a queue, whether that's sitting right next to somebody, whether that's wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, we make those decisions ourselves. Um, uh, corporate entities that are sponsors, ex exhibitors, 
paying for registration fees, they, they, they will operate and think slightly differently. And therefore, it's really important that whatever measures are determined, that they are delivered consistently. And, and I know from, from our perspective as, a, as an, a venue, speaking on behalf of other venues that I talk to, we have no concerns about being able to, to meet those, those requirements. We just urge the regulators to, to think carefully about exactly what those measures are. Because if you're not careful, you're going to set up a series of unintended consequences, which become as difficult as the consequence you're well, trying to you're trying to avoid in the first place. Absolutely, and when you talk about unintended consequences, you know if you if you add if you add any form of um, any additional layer to an event that presents itself with an additional cost. And if you're not careful about that, and the cost ends up flowing down in, it, let's say, taking exhibitions for example, the UK exhibition industry is responsible for a monumental billions of pounds worth of trade coming into this country, which at this point is critical. Trade exhibitions are going to play a massive role in Absolutely. economic recovery, in post-Brexit landscape, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you start prohibiting those companies from exhibiting because the costs are going up because of extra layers of administration that have to be factored into the organizing level that could play a massive that, that that could have a huge impact on the viability of shows on how much trade is actually done as a result of those shows so it's not just the operational impact it's not just the operational impact on getting people into the venue quickly or queues outside i think people have to look even broader than that and look at what the potential knock-on effects are for these shows and the exhibition industry as a whole, and the potential trade damage that that could do by not having, I don't know, you know t t having 10% fewer exhibitors coming to those shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got, I, I think it's about proportionality, isn't it? It's about um, making sure that the, that the the measures that are imposed do not detract from the purpose of why, why we're trying to meet in the first place. It's like, you know, it's when they were talking about pubs and nightclubs and stuff you get to a point where you you have to jump through so many oops that actually there's no point in going to the pub or the restaurant or the nightclub because it's actually a it's a poor experience yeah um and i and i think you know a similar thing applies uh to to the work that, that that we're doing um but i think we you know it's got to be proportionate because the costs have got to be manageable for the reasons that you've said um there's no um there's no audience by the way for our industry complaining about the cost of keeping people safe that is a very short argument all right that you're never going to win so i think we have to be careful about saying oh well we can't do this because it's cost or that or the other for me that's an irrelevance complete irrelevance if if the measures are proportionate then the costs will be proportionate as well um and as venues and organizers and sponsors that we, we all know that there's a a role that we all play to contribute to our shared objective and our shared objective is getting these shows live and operating again. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I listen sometimes to parts of the, the hospitality industry complaining about, ah, oh, well, you know, we, we can't get, we can't get staff. And, um, I, I was listening to someone the other day and he was saying, yeah, it's impossible to get minimum wage staff. And I'm thinking, you you've just you, you're already making the argument against you know against your plight yourself because some of the problems i think as an industry 
that we and I, you know, I'm the wider hospitality industry is faced. It comes down to this complacency again, this complacency that we can always get staff because we're part of the EU. So we'll have people coming in from, let's say, it's Eastern Europe for, for housekeepers to use a cliche, for example. They'll yeah. always be there. You know, let's say it's um, it's uh, other other um, Mediterranean um, visitors coming in to work in our bars, whatever, and they're, they're always there. And there's been a level, I think, of complacency, dare I say, exploitation, um, that there'll always be this flow of resource. And I think we've got to start to think differently. You know, we've got to ensure that when we bring people into our businesses, that, that they're given, um, you know, a, a, a rewarding, if you like, compensation deal. And that doesn't mean we're going to be paying, you know, people, you know, 60 grand a year to work behind a bar with a company BMW or anything like that. But um, but we've got to be straight with people. And I think if we're going to have sustainability, sustainable events, sustainable industry, and we're going to give people real good career choices um, that they can they can make a positive decision to come into our industry and stay with our industry rather than do it as something while they're waiting to do something else, um, then we've got to tackle these issues and we've got to do it properly and and so that means that customer expectations have got to be changed as well but let's let's look at i mean we're getting completely off topic here i hope this is the podcast but um but let's think about about, um for a moment the restaurant industry and now we're all a couple of things that's come out of the pandemic one is you've got to reserve a table right two you've probably got to pay for that table or at least put a deposit down on the mm-hmm. table and the single biggest problem that restaurants were talking about prior to the pandemic was the cancellation uh, epidemic which is that people book tables and then don't turn up so yeah. these these restaurants on a friday night they're expecting 90 covers uh, they only get 70 but they've ordered food for 90 and there's all of this wastage and everything else everyone's getting very upset about it and of course the, the simple answer is well actually get people to reserve their table and get them to put a deposit down yeah jobs are good yeah that is now happening that's standard uh, ordering you know we all go into a restaurant and you're waiting you know you're trying to catch your waiter or waitress's eye so you can order your food and then they come and then you know half of your party don't know if they're having what starter <laughs> they're having and they don't know if they want their main course and then they've got to go back and let's I give you another five minutes yeah please do and then they're gone for another 10 minutes all of a sudden now we're doing we're ordering online as well so you're yep. actually you, you're looking at the workflow of and this does apply i think to elements of our industry as well if i look at banquets and stuff like that for example in our business you're looking at that whole workflow and say actually the, the 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 human requirement at this stage and this stage of the process has now been minimized because we've automated it so we've got a positive there we've got an advantage there absolutely so, well yeah. let's actually use our resource to deliver a better customer experience so there are ways through it because of things that the pandemic has forced us to do and i think that there are some similar examples that we could probably cite in the events industry which will will help us as we navigate what is going to be you know challenging months ahead as we as we look to recruit back the teams of people that we need to deliver the events that we run yeah. And uh, hospitality, food and beverage, they're intrinsically linked with, you know, w- with the, with the events industry. I mean, how many how many large scale dinners and, and event and, and awards events have you seen within your own venue there? You know, we have literally hundreds of staff working, you know, the floor for a thousand people at dinner. Um, 
and you think if somebody wants to order a drink and that person has to walk right across the floor to the table in the middle, take the order, then walk all the way back, and they've got to do that 20 times over the course of the evening, they're no longer having to do that, you know, that, that first trip. They get the order in at the bar and then they just yeah. grab the drinks and they take it to the table. You know, you're halving the amount of time um, that, that, that they're making unnecessary trips by utilising the technology that was there beforehand. You know, I've pointed this out again over the last few months. A lot of this technology has been around for a long time. QR codes have been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, in the last six months, people have got their heads around what they can actually do and how they can quickly open a web page and you can then quickly order your food and then pay for it on your, you know, your Apple Pay on your phone instantly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you're absolutely right to point out that you know, if, if events, um, hospitality, all those industries have been forced down a certain route in the last 12 months, which, whilst not ideal, will have a number of positive outcomes as a result of adopting more streamlined operational procedures. Um, and, and I think that's something that we carry forward and, and will help massively going forward. Um, and, and, and I think, again, I, in the old days, when people look for efficiencies, you know, they're looking at they're looking at cutting out costs so that the you know you can maximize margin maximize profits and, and, I, and i think that what we can now do is is we can use that technology to optimize the operational process which then has the knock-on effect hopefully of better margins and better profits long term but mm -hmm. with a more positive which is that actually the team members you've got working in that environment have got a more sustainable and a more rewarding uh, career um, um, you know, path ahead of them. I, I think one one quick point about something you said a moment ago, which is about how in, in, in events will have to kind of get better, and that we've all been to those those events that maybe haven't been at the, the sharp end of of, of what's happening. I, I think mediocrity is going to be one of the casualties of this of this um, of this pandemic. Uh, you know, there will not be the appetite, the space, or, or the acceptance of a, a half interesting poorly delivered event of, of any kind actually yeah. not, you know yeah. not you know that people will, will, will people will crave that 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 experience but but it will need to deliver and i think that good organizers good venues good content owners are very tuned into that and and are looking at all sorts of interesting ways to bring their brand their ip their content to life in different ways which which ultimately open up new revenue opportunities i mean you know if you, if you map out the stages of where we are as we've gone through this pandemic i mean we you know you many businesses are still in this kind of survival mode you know we, yeah. we've still got government financial support we're still unsure about what our future revenue paths look like but eventually we'll we'll shift out of survival mode and we'll get into more of a kind of rebuilding you know recalibrating mode where we start to look at ways to to kind of to 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 optimize the these forced changes that we've had to we've had to employ absolutely sean we're, we're rattling through time today but there's something yeah. that i've been i've been wanting to ask you and i've been wanting to ask the you know the 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 the, the top dog in any of the major uh uh exhibition venues and event venues actually so um well, I'll take this opportunity. I hope I don't let you down then. <laughs> no, no, I'll take this opportunity. It, it, it relates to having multiple events running within your venue at once. You at Manchester Central have a capacity to do that. You have multiple different different yep. facilities within there. And I know that you know, a whole other topic is some of the stuff that you've actually launched, like the studio at Manchester yep. Central. But when it comes to operating multiple events 
at the same time within effectively the same venue, which is going to happen in a number of different other yeah. venues because of the backlog. How are you going to approach that in terms of the differences in protocol? You mentioned that events will look at it you know, on a case-by-case basis. They will look at their audience, what's right. They may have a degree of flexibility. How are you going to then juggle all of those clients together? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we, we're we fortunate because we do have we do have different spaces and because of that we have different entrances and different exits so we can we can segregate for want of a better word different events um across different parts of the building um and not compromise the experience that those organizers will get now we can do that at the moment uh, because i think you know the it, that's the environment that that we live in um if you got to a point where you're talking about lots and lots of larger scale events happening simultaneously, then clearly you're going to get some potentially some sort of cross fertilization and contact yeah. and stuff like that. And so, but but I, I suspect that by the time we're back in that nature of the game, then actually the the, the concerns and restrictions will have eased further sure. uh, because yeah. it kind of goes hand in hand that you're not going to have yeah. super large scale events if you've still got these these issues. But but yeah, I think for us it's about having a really clear pathway through the venue and, and very clear um, allocation of resources. I suppose the biggest issue for us is that what we've, in some occasions, we've been able to operate one central concierge facility mm. serving, you know, five or six events that might be taking place, uh, all managed through one single uh, entrance and exit. The difference right now is that we're going to have to manage multiple entrance and exits. So the economy of scale that we may have had previously by managing multiple events through one gateway, if you like, yeah, yeah. Uh, we lose that economy of scale and each each event will have to um, take care of its own uh, entrance, ingress and egress arrangements based upon the fact that they also have a shared motivation to ensure that they um, they keep their um, they they keep their areas separate. We saw this. We just hosted MIF, the international festival, by the way, mm. um, and we've got uh, we've got our QR code for the venue. You know that you scan when you come sure. in. Yeah. What we did what we did with MIF actually was that we actually gave each event. If you, we, had, we sometimes we had four things taking place. Mm -hmm. Each 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 show had its own QR code, so right. that we could distinguish between those people that had come into the venue for the recital versus those people that are coming to the venue for the concert. So that way you wouldn't unnecessarily be track and traced if you've been in one side of the venue and then somebody else in another side of the venue, but the common denominator was our single QR code. We eliminated that separate QR codes for each event. Jobs are good. A delineation of, of where people have been. It's, it's, it's a great point to raise because, again, that's a whole other topic of conversation, isn't it? The the test and trace and the pandemic at the moment that, that we're all going through and, um, well, and being able to, to then distinguish. You know, you, you walk into a venue like Manchester Central, you know, you could be going into multiple different areas and come nowhere near, literally within hun hundreds of metres of, of another person that, you know, by rights has also been under the roof of Manchester Central. So it, it, it's a great point to make that you can actually distinguish that, you know, within within the confines of yeah, the venue and, as a whole. And this is one of those interesting things that, you know, venues are not obliged now to, 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 to show the QR code, but they're encouraged to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we are, you know, we're certainly working with organisers to, to have that 
protocol because also it gives a certain amount of reassurance you know visitors they they, they like to know that, that the organizers and the venues are following these procedures because it just gives them that extra layer of comfort um so so we'll, we will continue to do that i think as long as that is a a, a valuable resource but yeah the, the pandemic is uh and i hate these brands that these 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 organizations that these that these things end up being given by the main, yeah. mainstream media yeah. but it is a real problem it is a real problem um, it is, it is. My, my car was due to go it's going for a bit of body work tomorrow as it happens and the 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 paint shop called me this morning and said we can't do it because all of our, the, the people that were going to do your car are, are isolating and that, well that's pretty ridiculous but i yeah. I, I understand <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i'm going to put you on the spot one final time before i wrap up sean and that's to ask would you come back on in a few months time once you've gone through this process maybe of of having that week where you've had multiple events within you know the the, the, the venue at one point i'd love to love to speak to you again if that's okay in a few months uh time about you know some of these operational procedures what you've learned you know i'm sure you'll have stuff to feedback that you've learned by you know a, a, as events increase and the capacity increases uh, uh, back at the venue um so it would be great yeah. if you could if you could make the time again in a few months time to come back on and talk to us we'd love to uh, to chat with you again yeah it'd be, it would be uh, a pleasure and we're going to learn i think so much as we make our way through you know august september and into the into the autumn time and yeah so in, in a couple of months we will we will have a completely uh, new perspective i think on a lot of this stuff and, and who's to say a lot of these things may not have may not have uh, disappeared anyway i mean you know we i think we all hope that that is the case <laughs> Fingers crossed, everybody. We've been talking on the podcast today to Sean Hines. Sean is the Chief Executive at Manchester Central. And if you want to find out a little bit more about what those guys are up to at the venue and all of the stuff that they've got on offer under that particular brand, manchestercentral.co.uk is their website. Obviously, search for them on all the regular social media channels, but um, all sorts of other stuff that we could have talked to Sean about today, about what's going on within the venue itself and stuff that they've done in the it, it, over the pandemic. And as I said, Studio at Manchester Central is something that the Perhaps many of our uh, listeners would be interested in and hop onto their website and have a little look at that and find yeah. out what they're up to. Um, Sean, thanks very much for joining us today. It's been great to have you back on the show. We look forward to seeing you again in a few months' time. Uh, anybody who is listening to today's podcast through their headphones whilst they're out and about, don't forget that you can hop over to eventindustrynews.com and you can check out all the latest news, features and supplements, as well as previous episodes of our podcast and video versions of all the podcasts as well. Of course, if you are watching this already on eventindustrynews.com. You can also go over to your chosen podcast platform and listen to audio versions of all 240-something, nearly 250 episodes that we've recorded over the last few years. It brings us to the end of today's episode. It's been fantastic to talk to Sean Hines from Manchester Central today, and I look forward to seeing everybody on the next edition of the podcast. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.